The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, Buffalo Bills fans, welcome to the latest episode of Breaking Buffalo Rumblings. Anthony Marino, happy to be here with you once again, talking everything Buffalo Bills. In the middle of the offseason, and of course, so much going on around the country right now as we think about the pandemic crisis that we're all in. I say this each and every episode as we talk about the Buffalo Bills and football. We realize this is something right now that we hope is just a distraction for everybody at this time and something we can bond over and, and spend some time discussing. And when you talk about the discussion, one of my favorite people to chat with around the Buffalo Bills, Matt Perino from NewYorkUpstate.com joining us today. Matt, how are you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. Uh, the kids are, are itching to get outside. We had a couple of days of rain here uh, in, in Buffalo, West New York area. So if the weather clears up, I feel like it, a, a lot more sanity will prevail. I think uh, many people share those same sentiments. You think just the opportunity to get the kids outside for a little bit. Uh, they just need that fresh air. I need that fresh air. And uh, my dog certainly is like itching to, to get out of the house, to, <laughs> to say the least. But I hope you and everyone in your family are doing okay under the circumstances. Oh, yeah. We're, we're hanging in there doing, doing great. And you got to just look at the positive side of this thing. And, you know, we don't get a lot of ch- a chance to spend this much time with our family usually. Uh, so you got to just, you know, grab onto that and enjoy that. And that's what we're doing No, Absolutely. And I imagine at least for you, Matt, although you are home, like everyone else, there's been plenty to talk about around the Buffalo bills in the off season. I'd love to get your impression just on free agency so far, getting through this first wave and even the Stefan Diggs trade as well. You know, we were talking about for months, what this was going to look like if the bills lost both Shaq Lawson and Jordan Phillips. And what this defensive front uh, would potentially look like in 2020. And I think, you know, Brandon Bean, the, the wizard that he is, he went out there and I think he improved it. Uh, the three additions that they made to replace the two guys that are leaving are, are super intriguing. I really like the, the pass rushing uh, upgrade of Mario Addison over, over Shaq Lawson. You go watch some of his tape, and he is like, he's more of that pure pass rusher, the guy that you can rely on to get some pressure on the quarterback consistently. Shaq did a good job of that last year, but it's something that over the course of his four years, he always kind of left you wanting a little bit more. And I think Addison, even at 33 years old, paired with Jerry Hughes is is absolutely enthralling if you're a Bills fan. I mean, we could be talking about a whole new uh, sphere uh, uh, in terms of where the Bills' defensive line ranks in the NFL. And, you know, Quentin Jefferson, I wrote 
that I thought that he was kind of the the jewel, the crown jewel, or could end up being that in this Bills free agent class. And that's because of his versatility, uh, what he brings as a pass rusher, his age, and he just has to stay healthy. When he's done that uh, over the course of his career, he's been really good. And then Vernon Butler, I think that that's just gravy. I think that's a guy that they can mold a little bit and kind of reminds me of Jordan Phillips in that, you know, he underwhelmed in Miami and he came here and bought into the system and, you know, they figured the, a way to make him really super productive. I think they could do the same thing with uh, Vernon Butler, even coming off a career year last year. But, you know, I sit here and talk about defensive additions and I like A.J. Klein too, but let's be honest, it's all about Stefan Diggs. And, you know, that, that trade was something that when they when the Arizona Cardinals pulled the deal for DeAndre Hopkins, I was sitting there and I tweeted it. I was like, man, if you're Josh Allen sitting at home, <laughs> and you just watched Kyler Murray in year two. You're going into year three, and you see this youngster, you know, get a, a bona fide number one. You got to be sitting there like, man, can I get a new toy to play with? And what does Brandon Bean do? He goes out, gets him that number one receiver. And I think Stephon Diggs is is exactly what the Bills want in a wide receiver one. Uh, versatile. Uh, he can beat you at the line of scrimmage. He can beat you downfield. I think he's a, a real deep threat. I, John Brown is, too. But I just think the physicality and the route running that Stefan Diggs brings, his age, his explosion, uh, he's, he's, he's the total package. I got to be honest, Matt. I was shocked when I saw the news of the Stefan Diggs trade. And you think back to during the season, different around the, uh, the trade deadline, right? A lot of speculation. Was he going to be on the move? What was going to be the asking price for him? Now you come into it, the Bills packaged, you know, the first round selection with some mid-round picks to go and get Diggs. I mean, was there any part of you that saw this coming, or were you completely blindsided by it? You know, I was really unimpressed with the free agent class at wide receiver, and I landed on Brashad Perriman as a guy that, you know, the Bills can maybe target. But, man, even after losing Robbie Anderson, how flat did that signing feel for the Jets, you know? Yeah. And so I really feel like to get a guy, they were going to have to go out and make a trade. And I know that Brandon Bean, you know, he subscribes to the philosophy that you're never one player away. But I think that this offense was, in a lot of ways, one playmaker away from being able to take that step into the top 15, maybe top 10 offenses in the league. And this this unlocks a whole new uh, dimension of um, probably Brian Dable's playbook, but just you know the personnel groupings that they can use, what they can do with John Brown and Stefan Diggs on the field at the same time. I think, in a lot of ways, you want you talk to you hear them talk about speed and what it means to them, and I think that's why Isaiah McKenzie got the run that he got last year, is because he brings that dynamic uh, speed, that playmaking. Stephon Diggs can take a lot of that, uh, a lot of that playing time away from Isaiah McKenzie, and you can really now have three different receivers that are kind of three different flavors, but they're all kind of similar in the sense that their their main strength may be their route running and ability to separate and you have three guys and that's important for Josh Allen because to have three guys that can present an, a target early on uh, in that intermediate to short route and then again break away down the field it's going to be really difficult for defenses to figure out how to stop this offense when you have to account for all three of these guys and then oh by the way add Devin Singletary who, who led the league in yards per carry last year and Dawson Knox, who I think will be better in year two. So I think this was the the path to go. Uh, Anthony, I, I've i seen some people complaining about the uh, the draft picks given up. And, I, and I, I just don't get it, to be honest with you. It's 
it's two picks in the fifth and sixth round. A, they're fifth and sixth round draft picks. That those are crapshoots to begin with. Sure. Uh, a fourth rounder next year. Well, we're talking about potentially a Super Bowl window in 2020 opening for the Bills. I'm not worried about 2021. And and Brandon Bean's done a good job at taking pieces that he's acquired and turning them into future draft picks. So I'm not worried about 2021. So that brings you down to a, the 22nd overall pick this year. And listen, it's a deep wide receiver class. There's a lot of talent to be had. Maybe one of these pass rushers would fall to 22. But I think that you have a real impact player that I just don't think you could get in, in Stefan Diggs that I don't think would be there at 22. And not to mention that fifth and sixth rounder this year, they're still picking in the fifth and sixth round this year. They have two picks in the sixth round right now. So I have no problem with the compensation. Every way, angle you look at this deal, this was a home run swing and, and connection by Brandon Bean in this front office. Yeah, I was really surprised by it, right? Because when and I, when I say surprised, I mean that people overreacted to the price when it came to those mid-round picks. Uh, the fifth and sixth round picks, right? I mean, you can argue those were extra picks acquired with the trade of Wyatt Teller and Russell Bodine, right? So if you're talking about two guys that were likely to get cut last year, Brandon Bean working his magic, able to turn that into picks, you know, a fourth round pick in 2021, I guess if you're talking about value, that would equate to a fifth round pick in 2020. You know, from this standpoint, I mean, those are those are lottery tickets at this point. And sure, we've seen players drafted in years past that have turned out to be some successful pros. But in this situation, as you noted, they have another fifth round pick this year. They have two sixth round selections. And yes, they get a... The, a seventh round pick from Minnesota back in this. So they still have some of those, let's call them the darts in their pocket that they can throw in those, those late rounds. So I'm surprised that some people thought they overpaid. I look at it. I thought it was a fair price, especially considering when you look at those prospects in the draft at 22, many people were thinking Buffalo would go with a wide receiver, but those top three receivers would not have been there. Then you're getting into a little bit more. Is it Justin Jefferson? We know T. Higgins had fallen off. LaVisca Chanel Jr. with the injuries. Now the Bills can bring in a sure thing that can help them during the 2020 season. And as you said, a, a Super Bowl window. And it's interesting, right? Does, does Brandon Bean, in your mind, make this trade if Tom Brady is back? Or is it one of those pieces where you look at it and think, all right, Brady's probably out of here. Um, maybe along the lines, hey, we're not going to have OTAs or minicamp. We don't know what that's going to look like. Let's get this proven receiver in. I mean, do you think he makes this trade if those aren't the circumstances right now? You know, I still think he does just because you look around the AFC and you look at what happened last year and, you know, you go on the road and you beat a Tennessee Titans team uh, week five, although, of course, Marcus Mariota was still their quarterback. But you beat that team on the road in their in their house, and they go on to the AFC Championship game. I think you look around this division. Nothing about those two Patriots games last year, uh, the Bills played in Week Four and Week Sixteen, scare you. Uh, I, I thought that they were the better team in Week Week Four, and I thought they should have won in Week Sixteen if the defense had showed up a little bit more. I think they gave over up over 400 yards to Tom Brady and company. I I just think the pendulum was shifting already. And this is a move that you mentioned Tom Brady. And when this move was made, I think it was getting pretty clear that he was moving on. And and it just makes a ton of sense. I, it, it comes down to 
what they've talked about going back to the beginning of the 2019 season and probably really in 2018. How do we set up Josh Allen for success? And that's building around him, bringing in players that he can trust. There were times Stephon Diggs was a little bit of a distraction in Minnesota. Uh, I think that the culture that's been built in Buffalo, it's been built to withstand maybe some players coming in that you have to kind of, you know, work a little bit harder to get them to buy into your system. But when it all comes down to it, they wanted people that Josh Allen can trust. They, Sean McDermott mentioned it, trustworthy playmakers for Josh Allen. And Stefan Diggs, as big of a headache as he's been at his worst, he's still, when he lines up or suits up and lines up, you can trust that he is going to probably make the play to win a game. And that's what they needed, and that's what they added. When you take a look at free agency, and, and let's, right, going back a little bit, you made some points on the defense. The majority of the signings have been on the defensive side of the ball. Do you think is now we get into, call it, this second or third wave of free agency, that Brandon Bean is not set yet, at least on the offensive side of the ball? Because you look at the re-signing of Quentin Spain, of course, the re-signing of Isaiah McKenzie coming back in. But other than the trade for Stefan Diggs, really no moves on the offensive side of the ball right now. Yeah, and I think that they definitely want to add another offensive lineman. And uh, in, in, I would imagine it will come in the draft probably. But uh, I can also see them maybe picking through what's left of free agency and, and coming up with a Quentin Spain type deal as we move closer to uh, the draft and maybe afterwards. You know, Darrell Williams is an interesting addition in the sense that I was really high on him last year and then I called him an under-the-radar signing this year. If he can get back to health, I mean, we're talking about a really dynamic player on the right side of the Bills' offensive line. And so that's a, a huge get. I mean, you're talking at the very least, if he reaches where you, you know, close to health that he was in 2017 when he was a second team all pro, you're talking about a, 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 a starter written in pen on your depth chart. So that's, that's one piece that I like. Um, I think offensively, you know, they, 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 they showed you what they believe in Tyler Croft by by restructuring that deal and giving him, you know, this year to kind of prove it again. So he's tight end two. So there really isn't a lot of other holes. I mean, obviously running back something that, you know, we've been talking about. I, I know that there was at least an initial call with uh, Melvin Gordon's people when he was a free agent. Uh, that obviously didn't materialize into anything substantial. But, uh, you know, Devonta Freeman's out there, and, and the longer that he stays in the free agent market, the more um, – affordable he becomes so and that's that's the type of guy that you know with the workload that's available on the on, on this roster and depth chart right now it's probably at about 135 to 150 carries if if Devin Singletary stayed healthy last year I doubt that Frank Gore gets to 166 or whatever it was that he finished at so um, I think that there's definitely some options but you know I, I thought they took a nice step forward last year as an offense uh, a nice step. I think everybody wanted a little bit more, but I think in lieu of, you know, own more moves, I think that this offense was going to take a step in year three, just in the continuity factor, Cole Beasley and John Brown having a whole season together and learning how to play with each other and Josh Allen with both of them and, and Dawson Knox will improve and so much, so on and so forth. So uh, I'm not surprised. I think there still could be some moves. I think we're sitting at around 70 players, uh, you got the draft and the undrafted free agent period, so you're you're probably looking at five more additions outside of the draft, um, and I think those those can come at any time. Brandon Bean likes to keep an open mind and open 
uh, at least a couple million uh, dollars in cap space to to kind of make those maneuvers. Matt, when I've looked at mock drafts, even dabbled in with some of it myself, right? When it comes to, let's call it RB2, right? So someone to compliment Devin Singletary. I found myself looking to the draft and especially at pick 54, you see some of those big names that pop up in a lot of situations, right? Somebody like a Cam Akers, somebody like a J.K. Dobbins. I mean, really any of the top five in some of these scenarios show up available at 54, But when you think of who's been the RB2 for the Bills in years past, right? Sean McDermott's first season, it's Mike Tolbert. In year two, it's Chris Ivory. In year three, it's Frank Gore. You know, one in each of those situations, call it a bit of a bruising back for where they were at their stage in their career, but also much more of a veteran presence. Do you look at things right now, and if you had to guess, right, do you see the Bills waiting to address RB2 in the draft, or do you think that they would look to to sign someone via free agency right now? You mentioned Devonta Freeman, maybe a Lamar Miller, or even a Carlos Hyde. Yeah, I think Hyde fits the ivory mold uh, a little bit. Maybe not as much of a bruiser as Ivory was, but in terms of a guy that has, has had some success in this league, brings some experience to the room. Uh, but you look at the draft. You know, I know a lot of Bills fans hate hearing hearing this, but I'm I'm not on team running back at 54. Uh, I think you just spent uh, a day two asset on running back last year, and I think that there are still some areas. Uh, and 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 I also, with that in mind, I also think that the top three backs, maybe even four backs, with uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire out of LSU. All four of those guys were off the board in Tom McShay's mock draft that came out today. And I'm not saying that that you know, is gospel or anything, but just to give you a sense of where these guys are going, you, you, you run this, this draft machine and on a lot of these sites, and it seems like Jonathan Taylor is there every time at 54. I think that yeah. that's you know, a little bit more unlikely than likely at this point, especially after the, his combine performance. And, and that combine performance is going to be even more uh, weighted now that the, the lead up to the draft process has changed so dramatically in light of the pandemic. So, you know, I think Taylor will be somebody that's off the board. So you got to make a decision there. You know, what's the value of Akers, a guy like that, if all the, four of those guys are off the board, compared to maybe like a Curtis Weaver or a Julian Aquara, who after those two guys, the edge rusher class drops off quite a bit. And that's something that Brandon Bean talked about last year. And that's why they made a move up to get Dawson Knox is because they knew if they didn't get their tight end there, that 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 cliff was going to be much steeper. So you got to always put it in, in in that kind of context. Like these these guys have spent months in 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 the in front office in in draft rooms breaking down these players, and the, their draft boards are going to probably look a lot different than all the ones you find on the internet. So I think running back will be addressed in the draft, and I think that they. You know, there's some options later in the draft as well that I think you can get behind. And I think that with the way that Devin Singletary played last year, I still don't think it's a glaring need because TJ Yeldon, if for nothing else, I know he's got some fumbling issues. He's proven to at least be a reliable, you know, second option, you know, former second round pick. And he had some nice years in Jacksonville as a as a as a running mate. And so I I think that it's not a glaring need. I think that there's there's options out there. And I think that uh, you know. It'll get it'll get sorted out, and and if that if you go into even if you go into next season with no other move, if if this is the depth chart, you know, De- Devin Singletary, T.J. Yeldon, and maybe like uh, you know an undrafted free agent, let's say, uh, I still think that that's that that's fine. 
Now, before we get into more of the draft stuff, because I certainly have a few questions for you there. You had a, a list of 10 names to watch for the second round pick. You yourself have a new mock draft up. But I do have one other thing around free agency I want to talk to you about. A little bit of a hot button um, item. Ryan Talbot had an article where he was talking about some free agent targets, and he listed Cam Newton and Jameis Winston as names for consideration. Um, I know where I stand on this, but I was curious to get your take as it comes to not just adding an upgraded backup quarterback, but somebody that high profile um, and potentially adding them to the roster. You know, and I think that. Um... If you ask Ryan, I don't think that he he would think that either of those moves make make sense. I think that that story was more of a, you know a consideration, like you know what I mean. Like, it, is it considerable f- from the Bills' perspective to upgrade at the backup quarterback spot? And I think that while it is, I, I think that you do want somebody better than Matt Barkley as your backup if you're going to say. Uh, face a situation where Josh Allen gets injured and can't play a string of games or maybe even miss the remainder of the season. But then you look in places like uh, Kansas City um, and uh, Green Bay, where they have elite quarterbacks, not saying that Josh Allen is there yet. He's not. But who are their backup quarterbacks? I mean, are they going out and getting, you know, former starters uh, to place to put in place behind their guys? That's just not the practice in the NFL most of the time. I mean, guys like Marcus Mariota and Ryan Tannehill are brought in to be backups for quarterbacks that have serious question marks. And while I think that Josh Allen needs to make a step in year three, and I wouldn't sit here and glorify him as some bona fide franchise quarterback, I don't think there's nearly enough questions or concerns or where I would sit here and think that the Bills regime is even close to considering what comes after Josh Allen at this point. And that's the only time you make a move for a Cam Newton or a Jameis Winston, former first-round picks that, you know, albeit aren't, aren't having a lot of success finding a, a starting gig right now, are still starting caliber players in this league. And, you know, we mentioned I mentioned culture earlier and building a culture so you can withstand certain personalities. Well, that's a that's a you're asking for problems bringing in those kind of uh, players more Cam than Jameis. I, I, from everything I've heard, Jameis is a real good teammate and a real and not that Cam isn't, but he's just a little bit more eccentric. I think that you're asking them to take on a role that they're they're not suited to take on at this point. I still think both of those guys are starters. I think they're good enough to be starters, and to have that in your room, I think it's more valuable to have guys like Davis Webb and Matt Barkley who are so um, pivotal to the development of your young quarterback now. And it's more than what happens if Josh goes out. You know, it's it comes down to what are these guys doing in the room to help Josh develop? And is Cam Newton and Jameis Winston going to come in here and help Josh Allen develop? No, they're going to be trying to win a, get, win a job. And I think that's one of the big reasons why they moved A.J. Mc, uh, McCarron uh, a couple of years ago and went with Nate Peterman. Because AJ McCarron came in here and he wanted to win a job, and so and and that and that's they had a good relationship AJ and Josh, but I just think that that was the facts of this league in this game. So no, I don't think that's the way to go. And I think I'm okay with Matt Barkley. I know some people want to upgrade there, but I think it's more about it's more important to focus on Josh than it is to focus on what would happen if Josh isn't in that spot anymore. No, I think that's a great point, and and I do agree with you as well. And I am. A tremendous Cam Newton fan, um, just for the player that he's been since coming into the league. And as you look at it, it just, you know, Cam is an alpha, 
right? Like he's not going to come into the locker room and just be the, you know, not to sound bad, like the obedient backup um, from that standpoint. So I couldn't agree with you more. Now, listen, if the Cincinnati Bengals decide to cut ways with uh, with Andy Dalton, would I maybe feel a little bit different there? A quarterback that's had the starting experience more in the decline of his career, uh, you know, can come in and again, if anything were to happen to Josh Allen, should still be able to, to provide a considerable upgrade over somebody like Matt Barkley. But even if they do decide to part ways with him, I would imagine that Andy Dalton would have some, uh, you know, Plenty of options, I guess I would say, out there if he did become available. 100%. 100%. So, Matt, let's talk a little bit about the draft. And and first, I want to focus, before we get to your mock, you had a a list, and I thought it was a great list the other day, of of 10 names of guys that could be available at pick 54. And I liked it because it was a mix of some guys that you would think, okay, some of them – should most definitely be available with that selection and others might fall into that window that you know we know brandon bean once he gets his heart set on someone he's not afraid to make a trade to move up you know obviously if you've got to do something to put yourself in a position to get one of these guys i'm going to run through the names real quick just in case the listeners hadn't seen it i'll be sure to link this in the article so they can spend some time with it but you've got terrell lewis the defensive end from alabama LaVisca Chenault Jr., the wide receiver from Colorado, Kyle Duggar from Lenore Rhine, uh, Ezra Cleveland from Boise State, Isaiah Wilson from Georgia, two uh, back-to-back offensive linemen there, Ashton Davis, the safety, Curtis Weaver, the edge rusher from Boise State, Jeremy Chin, a, a real popular name as of late, the safety out of Southern Illinois, Cam Dantzler, and Damon Arnett to, uh, again, second-round targets at cornerback for Mississippi State and Ohio State. As you came together with this list of talent, <coughs> tell me a little bit what went into it for you there. Yeah, so I think that where the Bills are picking, and because of the age uh, of, of their starters on an edge rusher, Jerry Hughes, Trent Murphy, Mario Addison, all over 30 years old, it's realistic to want to get younger in that room. And I know they have Daryl Johnson and Mike Love coming off the injury. Uh, but if you have the chance to, you know, get a moldable uh, edge rusher and Curtis Weaver, I, I have on here, uh, Terrell Lewis, those are, those are guys that, you know, if they are available at 54, I mean, a lot of mock drafts and big boards have them as first round, uh, fringe first round talents. And, you know, so I think that you look at that. Um, I think quarterback is interesting the EJ Gaines thing changes things a little bit for me because it, it tells me that, you know, bringing in EJ Gaines to me t- kind of says that they're pretty confident in the Josh Norman signing. And I think that he's probably the leader in the clubhouse here uh, before we get to training camp at who I think would predict to be CB2. So if that's the case and you still have a young guy in Levi Wallace, I'm not sure that you go cornerback in the second round if that guy's not going to start for your team. And I go back to a draft that Brandon Bean, he had two drafts um, in Carolina as assistant GM. And the one year they drafted three cornerbacks in 2016. And that was coincidentally right after Josh Norman had left in free agency. So they obviously had to take a couple swings there and they found James Bradbury and he obviously worked out for them, just signed a big deal with the Giants. But if you have a guy like Trey White, and that value is so high, one of the best cornerbacks in the league. And then you have three other guys now to compete for a depth position. I think that that need goes way down the board. Now, 
With that said, if Cameron Dantzler or Damon Arnett are popping, uh, or, or any other of these cornerbacks, I mean, I've seen some, uh, some mock drafts where Kurt, uh, Christian Fulton from LSU falls. Uh, you have to really ask yourself the question, all right, are they just popping out on my board um, like you know, certain certain guys did last year. Devin Singletary was just uh, egregiously standing out on the Bills' board, and they jumped and they made a move for him. And I think that that could be a situation where uh, you make that pick. And an offensive line, yeah, I know that they're they're pretty set on their depth chart, and this isn't a very strong draft when it comes to interior offensive linemen. So maybe if a Cesar Ruiz from Michigan is there, um, you, you consider it uh, at 54, but he'll probably be gone. So there's a couple tackles here, and one that I didn't even put on this list who uh, is just an absolute physical freak is Matthew Pert uh, out of C Connecticut. He's another guy that you could throw on here, maybe more a third-round target. But uh, I think those three positions, running or, um, edge rusher, offensive line, probably tackle, and then cornerback uh, are three positions that you should really – consider at that spot and with all that said brandon b might just go go nuts and, and go with a interior outside linebacker who knows you know i mean this it, it all comes down to these guys draft board and, and we can have all the our takes and how we think this is going to play out but it comes down to who they think is the best fit and the, the best player and, and that's another cool thing about 2020 uh buffalo bills roster building is that they built this thing well enough to tr to truly go best player available in every draft that they have for the next couple of years. And Matt, it's so interesting too, right? You think back to the 2019 draft, the Bills hold the number nine pick. It's easy enough for all of us to say, okay, here's a list of nine guys that I would be happy with, right? You think back to that. Many of us had targeted Ed Oliver as someone we would have loved to have seen come to Buffalo. Look forward to seeing what year two could be for him. Now that you're talking about pick 54, it's a little bit different. And as you start to go through these lists, even the 10 names that you have here, right, for the most part, if the Bills were to draft any of these 10 guys, I don't know if I would have much of a complaint. Um, one thing that I did find interesting with your list, LaVisca Chenault, the only wide receiver on the group. And I know there's been so much conversation about the position. While we like guys like Isaiah McKenzie and the potential with Duke Williams and even Robert Foster, could you see the Bills going wide receiver at 54? And are there others out there that really might stand out to you? Chase Claypool being a very popular name right now amongst Bills fans, of course, anyone that comes out of Notre Dame. But even think Denzel Mims, who's probably going to go in the first round, but such a deep group at wide receiver. Would you be surprised if they went, uh, again, with another pass catcher in the second round? Not at all. And, you know, from conversations that I had in Indianapolis, Initial impressions of Kyle Duggar and Chase Claypool were very high, you know, internally with the Bills. I mean, they're, they like both of those players. And I wouldn't be surprised if it comes out at some point that some of the FaceTime meetings uh, that, that have been allowed during the pandemic, Kyle Duggar and Claypool show up on those, uh, on those uh, lists for the Bills. Um, but, and I think that with Chenault, he's intriguing because he is a true first-round talent, a guy that you know, going into the 2019 season was uh, some people's wide receiver number one. And he's such a dynamic playmaker and can do so many different things. I know the cliche term everybody likes to throw around is a Swiss Army knife, and he truly is. And I think I like the, the fit of him from the sense that, okay, you have a bunch of really fast, smaller receivers 
Now, while Chenault's not 6'5 or anything like that, he's a physical uh, contact-seeking type of weapon that you can line up all over the formation. He can run the wildcat. You can hand him the ball out of the backfield on, on, on jet sweeps and reverses. In a lot of ways, I think he almost upgrades that Isaiah McKenzie role. And and I used this, this comp earlier on in the draft process, and I've been kind of shying away from it because it's not fair to, to the guy that I'm comping Chenault to because of how dynamic and great and fast he is. But I think that long-term, if he can stay healthy, Chenault can have the same kind of impact on an offense that Tyreek Hill has for the Kansas City Chiefs. And I say that not because he does similar things, like in terms of the speed weapon that, that Tyreek Hill is. I just mean because he can do so many things with the ball in his hands. He can become uh, almost like a, a Debo Samuel in a lot of ways. We saw what he can do last year, and you know, obviously not at the level of Tyreek Hill, but that's what the high end of things can be with Chanel. And at you're talking about 54, uh, getting a player of that kind of caliber, you know, it makes a lot of sense if he's where he needs to be uh, on, on the Bills board. But I think that the injury concerns, the inability to stay healthy, that, that could drop him quite a bit, you know, for the Bills on their board. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Well, it will be interesting, too, right? He was such a popular choice in many early mock drafts when the Bills still had the number 22 selection. Uh, again, right, not running the great 40, showing up injured at the combine, everything that goes with that. With the concerns there, you could see him dropping to 54, and I think that would be very interesting for Buffalo if he was still available when you talk about the risk-reward uh, that he could really bring to the team. So, Matt, you introduced a, a brand-new seven-round mock uh, earlier this week, as you take a look at it, uh, you did touch base a, a little bit before on your choice. Uh, for those that haven't seen it yet, again, we'll include it uh, on the site here. But Curtis Weaver from Boise State, your pick at number 54. Talk a little bit about what went into that choice for you. Well, I have to be honest. Uh, I, I wasn't really all that familiar with Curtis Weaver. When the, when the draft process started, uh, the mock draft process back in January, I started seeing him, you know, late first round, early second round on a lot of uh, preliminary mocks. And over the course of the last couple of months, I feel like he's kind of lost a lot of uh, momentum and I haven't seen him as much. Well, I got to connect with Chris Trapasso from CBS Sports, one of their draft analysts last week. And I had a great conversation, which you can find over on our uh, the NYUP uh, YouTube page, uh, about 
Curtis Weaver and how he fits as a potential replacement for Jerry Hughes if the Bills were able to land him at 54. And that kind of convinced me. And I went back and watched some of his his tape, and he's a little bit bigger. Uh, he can rush standing up. He can rush with a hand on the in, in the dirt. He's a really intriguing guy, and I like what Chris talked about in terms of his production all three years at Boise State. And obviously, he's not playing the the Clemsons of the world every week and the LSU's. But you know, three years of production is is significant, and I think he's a guy that would fit in. Uh, did a little bit of research on who he is as a guy, and I think that uh, he he's a process fit, if you will, a guy that you know believes in the team mentality. And then you see the second pick. I I I, I shook it up a little bit. They were supposed to pick the Bills were supposed to pick at eighty six. I had them trade up to eighty with uh, safety Kyle Duggar falling a little bit. And obviously, I mentioned it before that I think the Bills are pretty high on him, and that's a guy that. I saw a comment from somebody when I when I mentioned Kyle Duggar recently, and they said that why would the Bills take a take a safety after they just re-signed Jordan Poyer? Well, Kyle Duggar and Jeremy Chin and even Ashton Davis these aren't these aren't typical safeties. These are guys that you know have some position flexibility can can play that big nickel role. Uh, for Davis, he can even play some cornerback. He's a he's a bliss has blistering speed. But Duggar is a guy that. You know, the Bills just promoted Jimmy Salgado to their nickel defensive backs coach, which tells me that they may be in the market for a big nickel this draft. I know they like Saran Neal, but a guy that has, you know, top 60 type talent. And it, it reminds me a lot of when the when the Carolina Panthers took Shaq Thompson, who kind of filled that role for Carolina in Sean McDermott's defense when they were there. So I like I like this this pick here getting Kyle Duggar at 80. I think the value is super high. I don't think he's going to be there. The more and more, you know, I think this thing through, that might be a pipe dream. And a lot of these things are pipe dreams in these mock drafts. And and you know, somebody tweeted that at me. Well, that's what mock drafts are. I mean, no, nobody <laughs> knows what these teams are thinking. So you just got to go based on the research that you're able to do. You know, I, for me personally, when you read a mock draft that I did, I'm. I'm not sitting here going one through uh, 250 and ranking these guys and then making – I'm going and researching all of the draft experts out there and how they're kind of uh, forming these things. I'm a beat writer. I, I cover the bills. I'm not a draft expert. So I, I try to study these things and then you know do my due diligence to best place where I think that – and you know in a lot of drafts, Kyle Duggar is going in a, in, in a percentage of drafts in the third round. So – uh, we'll see how it, how it plays out, but I think that if you could walk away with a, a developmental edge rusher and a potential big nickel, uh, the likes of a Kyle Duggar who's getting just such rave reviews across scouting circles, I think that's a real home run uh, for the Bills after getting Stephon Diggs with your first-round pick, basically. Matt, I always love when I get the uh, the feedback on mock drafts, right? And I, I do one for Buffalo Rumblings each Friday. It comes out on the site, and you know, and sometimes you get that feedback, and it's almost like... Listen, guys, I don't work for Brandon Bean, right? I'm going through the simulation. I'm working on different things. I'm presenting different scenarios. Maybe if I'm trading up, maybe if I'm trading back, uh, I don't have any insider knowledge that has any sort of influence that, uh, you know, Brandon Bean isn't on the site looking to see what I do each Friday and having it have any sort of impact on what he may do come, uh, come in the draft at the end of April. Listen, I would love to send my mock drafts and my big boards to Brandon Bean and Joe <laughs> Shane for approval, but that's just not how this works after all. Could you imagine if you sent them each a care package of just like, uh, you know, here guys was thinking of you, just wanted to uh, put together this, uh, you know, this big board I did in my basement while I was quarantined. I don't think, 
I don't think my phone can handle all the crying, laughing emojis I would get back <laughs> on any of my big boards or mock drafts that I sent to Brandon Bean. All right, Matt. So the next topic I have for you before we wrap up, very important, as you put out on Twitter the other night, that you and your wife are finally getting around to indulging in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, you've gotten a lot of input from individuals, myself included, uh, especially when you put out the preposterous tweet about just skipping Thor altogether, which uh, <laughs> caught, caught many people by surprise. But where, what are your impressions so far and, and how far into the Marvel Cinematic Universe are you right now? All right, so we decided to go by release date, and I know that that's a very polarizing decision. Uh, we did it because my wife's nephew, who's a huge Marvel fan, that's how he wanted us to do it. And while we were up for going in chronological order, I we just you know we're sharing it with him. So I I, I kind of wanted to do it how he wanted us to do it. So and I think he made start- the right call there too. I completely agree yes. with you. So. So we, we did, uh, we are at halfway through, and that's another thing, you know, we, we have two young kids where some nights we're making it about halfway through or this, or that we're, we just, we're on winter soldier, uh, captain America, winter soldier. So we're probably at about 40% of the way through here. Okay. Um, some thoughts now, let me just tell everybody, we weren't just skipping Thor to skip Thor. Uh, <laughs> we were skipping Thor because we had both seen it before. We just didn't really remember it. And as I watched it, I will say I I didn't remember as much as I needed to. So I'm glad that I rewatched it. It was really good. And what's funny is it's been so long and I'm, you know, we're busy. And once you get to parenthood, it's just different. But I've seen all three of the Thor movies. We just watched The Dark World last night and I and I saw that too. Because I really liked Thor. Like I thought it was really good when I first saw Thor. So and I definitely saw Ragnarok when it came out on Netflix. Um, so, but I haven't seen anything. I I had never seen any of the Avengers movies. So the first Avengers movie, um, we had, when we watched it in 2013, I think when it was out on DVD, we're ashamed to say we turned it off. (laughs) We we were about a half hour in and I was like, this is so boring. And I don't know if it was because we were, we were, um, just tired or what was going on, but, and after rewatching it and now watching it in order like this one after the other, we loved Avengers. We loved the movie. We thought it was great. Them all coming together, the big battle. It was great. New York was uh, awesome. I liked all three Iron Mans. And I know that there's a lot of uh, um, mixed feelings on, on Iron Mans and how like some people thought two was terrible. I liked two. Like I didn't think it was as good as one. I didn't think two or three either were as good as one. But I thought all three of them were – in a lot of ways, it reminds me of the Matrix trilogy. Sure. I love number one. It, nothing will ever replace that. But I was not nearly as down on two and three. I liked both of them as as the you know uh, public was. Listen, the, the Matrix is a whole other conversation. That'll have to be another podcast for another day. <laughs> but uh, it's good to hear that you're you're making up for some lost time. You know, it's it's funny, and your wife chimed in on Twitter the other night as well. You know, having the kids, how much that changes things. Uh, for me, my oldest, he's 13 now. But during the entire, you know, when these movies were first coming out, he was so into the superhero phase of everything. It just became what we ended up doing as a family. Now, full like confession, more of it was me like, oh, the movie's out this weekend. We've got to go. Right. You want to see this, bud? (laughs) And my wife would completely call me on it every time. Like uh, he doesn't know that it came out today or tomorrow or this or that. 
but I'll always say my greatest uh, moment as a father is uh, when he was in kindergarten. We went to pick him up at school. We told him he had a dentist appointment, and we actually brought him to see Avengers instead. And that was wow. uh, one of those, you know, one of those experiences. So, so I'm, how I, old was your son when he watched his first one? Oh, I'm uh, again, I might not get father of the year for this, but he was around four years old. He was so crazy. He was so crazily obsessed with with all of it that it was just like, you know, and there were certain parts that I would know, Okay, as a kid, you probably shouldn't see this part or that part. But uh, it really became a family thing. And, you know, now for each of us, that's, uh, you know, you think of how families grew up with the Star Wars movies of something that was such a big part of their their upbringing or something a family would do. You know, for the Marino family, it's all about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I like that, though. And, like, I'm right there with you. I mean, my son's five, and he, he, we let him watch, um, I think it was Avengers or Iron Man when he was, like, four. And, you know, he, he even will will ask us to turn it off if it gets too scary. Yeah. Um, and he's he, – but he's fighting through it. So he finally just watched Avengers with, with, with us the other day, and we fast-forwarded through it. And the last couple days have been – absolute debauchery in my house i'm talking about <laughs> running off walls he's got this like uh it's not plastic it's almost like a like a uh fabric-y type of cap uh captain america shield sure. every once in a while i'll be writing an article and he'll hit me in the side of the head with it <laughs> and i'm like what did i cre- i created a monster Absolutely. The joys of uh, working at home with the family and just, uh, you know, one of those pieces we talked about before when we all come through this, one of the true uh, benefits, right, getting to spend more time with our, our kids is even if you are getting hit upside the head with Captain America's shield. So, Matt, I always appreciate the opportunity we have to catch up um, before we do wrap it here. Why don't you tell everyone where they can find your work and what you might be working on? Yeah, so uh, I am at Matt Perino on Twitter and all of my work, Ryan Talbot's work, uh, my, my trusty tag team partner. Uh, we're over at nyupsyracuse.com. Uh, you can find all of our, our articles there. Definitely, like I mentioned earlier, check out the YouTube page, NYUp. Uh, just search that on YouTube. We're going to have a bunch of uh, standalone content and a lot of live content. Uh, as tomorrow, uh, fingers crossed, either tomorrow night or Thursday night, we're still working out the details. Uh, live on the NY Up YouTube page is going to be myself, Ryan Talbot, uh, John Scott from Spectrum News, and Sal Capaccio from WGR 550 to break down this Bills offseason. Look forward to the draft. I'm really excited about that, and you know we'll have uh, we'll have more draft content as we move through the weeks here, and uh, we're on all the social platforms. And as always, Mr. Marino, my friend, I really appreciate you having me on. No, it's great. And as you said, the content that you've been doing, uh, we caught your YouTube live video that you did before with Joe Biscaglia and Matthew Fairburn, Matt Beauvais, Marcel Louis Jacques. I mean, it's that type of stuff, I think, for everybody right now is you're you're in your homes and you're staying safe. Uh, I speak for many of us, right, when we say how much we just appreciate that because it gives us a good distraction to talk about our favorite football team and, and hear what you guys have to say. So always appreciate the time to catch up, and we'll have to do it again soon. Sounds good, my friend. Take care. Stay safe. Yeah, you too.